the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and and I lay down my life for the sheep. And And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I, and I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? As we read this, we remember again that Jesus is going on, we'll say, a tear against the leaders of Israel. The leaders of Israel keep hearing him say these mysterious words, giving these parables, giving these instructions, keep saying the words, I am. And they don't like it. They also do not care about the sheep of Israel. They care only for their position, their power, their influence, their money, their status. In fact, these are more than likely the hired help that Jesus is talking about here. They care only for themselves and not for the sheep. They will not protect the sheep from wolves. The healed man had been roughly treated by the religious authorities and thrown out of the synagogue. The blind man, the lame man, all treated poorly. What John writes next is that many thieves and robbers destroy the sheep while the good shepherd leads his own out of the sheep pen and into his own flock. These leaders care nothing for the people. There's a good reason to believe Jesus is sharing this because this parable because after um, after reading Ezekiel 34, there's a couple places you might remember in the Old Testament, probably most notably Psalm 23, and I'll read that in a little bit, just the, the beginning of it. But another one of those um, parallel passages about the sheep and about the shepherd, about wolves, about laying down one's life and feeding the sheep and caring for them, comes from Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they came before food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth. 
with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food, and all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. It is repeating over and over again. It's important. Hear this. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may be food for them. They may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from all the countries and will bring them into their own land and I'll feed them on the mountain of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on a rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And we can't read the words of Ezekiel 34 without thinking of the Psalm 23, right? A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. All these scriptures, the the words of Jesus and his parables and his declarative statements about who he is, and then thinking back to the Old Testament and Old Covenant, is leading us to understand this more. And we can understand it more even by understanding the work of a shepherd in ancient Israel and how Jesus is the door of the sheepfolds. In most days in ancient Israel, uh, shepherds led their sheep to graze in the pastures and drink from its streams. At night, however, the the shepherds took their sheep to the sheepfold, right, a walled structure, maybe often topped with uh, some sharp thorns, almost like barbed wire, in a sense, to keep out the wolves, to keep out the prey, to protect the sheep. The sheepfold, the gate, was the only proper entry, and there was a guardian, a, a sentry, guarding that entry point to make sure no one would come in to seek and kill and destroy and devour the sheep. Many different flocks often spent the night in the same sheepfold, but a sheep never gets lost among the mass of animals. He might get mixed in with the other sheep, but he knew his master's voice and always came when the shepherd called. I know there was a, a video going around recently about this woman who's like the cow caller. I don't know if you saw this, but she was kind of like the cow yodeler. She would yodel and call for these cows, and they, you couldn't see them. They were off in the distance. You barely see them. And she would just go out and call them, 
and they would just turn and start walking. They'd slowly and a cow and started walking towards her. And this is what it's like for the shepherd to call his sheep. They knew his voice. And when I read, when we read through this chapter 10, there's a wonderful book uh, by Timothy Whitmer called Shepherd Leader. It's a book that uh, we read as um, elders and deacons at our mother church, Christ Community Presbyterian Church of West Hartford. It's a book that would have um, any leaders in Trinity Grace as they arise, as we have deacons and elders come up to read. It's a wonderful book that takes from this chapter some wonderful truths about what it means to be shepherds of God's flock. He has four main categories for a shepherd. They are shepherds are to know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. And we see this in Jesus' example as he goes through in this, this statement in this parable, and that Jesus knows us. He knows his sheep. And he even knows the sheep that are scattered and that are far off. And he gathers them to himself. Right? Knowing your sheep means to have significant personal interaction with the membership of the church. <coughs> Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The faithful shepherd takes the Lord's words as his model. On the big picture level, right, the shepherd must know the congregation as a whole, must know each person. On the micro level, on the small level, the shepherd must know people individually, right, acquainted with their story, their faith, their walk, where they've come from. That Jesus knows us by name. He knows our temptations. He knows our sins. He knows our joys. He knows our sorrows, our worries. And he cares for us. Jesus knows how to comfort and care for each individual one of his flock. Each individual sheep. We are not just names in a database. But we are Christ's. Jesus knows us. Jesus leads us. He leads us by still waters. He leads us into green pastures. There are types and shadows. There are things in the Old Testament that are like a shadow of the reality. Like we see a shadow on the ground and we know that it doesn't represent us. It's just an outline. And of some, in some sense a mystery of who we are. In the Old Covenant, salvation, green pastures, land flowing with milk and honey, right, the promised land was Israel. But Israel, the land, that land, that little tiny piece of land on the Mediterranean in the Middle East, is just a shadow of the true Israel. It's just a shadow of the promise of God. And Jesus comes and he says to these leaders, he says, I am the shepherd of Israel. I am its leader. You are not. I will lead you. I am the better prophet. I am the better priest. I am the better king. It's interesting that, that Psalm 23 is a psalm of David, right? The great king of Israel, a shepherd boy who protected his flock. Right? He says, what up? when Goliath was there and he was huge and massive, the great warrior of the Philistines, 
I mean, as a, as a young boy, would you have, maybe like a tween, maybe 13, 14 years old, would you have volunteered to fight Goliath? No, probably not. But our job isn't to be better than David. It's not our job to be a better David. But we think of David and we think of what he did. The courage he had to go up against Goliath. Do you remember his words? Maybe not exactly verbatim, but he wasn't afraid. He goes, what I did to the lion and the bear as they came after my sheep, I will certainly do to Goliath. When we look at types and shadows in the Old Testament, we see these stories, these true stories of what truly did happen. We look forward, and we, well, we look back, but they were looking forward to Christ. And we see Christ as the true and better David, the true and better king, who protects his sheep from the lion and the bear, who slaughtered the great giant of his people, death. He defeated the greater Goliath. He says, I am the great shepherd, leading you out to green pastures, to the true Sabbath, to true safety, to drink of the living water. Now this doesn't mean that there won't be danger along the way. There's danger, but we have a great shepherd who is with us all the way. And he has defeated the greatest enemy of his people in death. And, show, and he showed us that he overcame it in life. Say, like, my life will be taken away, but I will raise it back up. Because that's how powerful, that's how great of a shepherd I truly am. I'm reminded of the great HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers, and the contrast of leadership. There's a, different, there's a, a few different leaders throughout the um, easy, com- easy Company of 101st Airborne in World War II. But the two that, that stick out the most in the beginning of the episode are Captain Sobel and Lieutenant Winters. Now, if you have never seen the HBO miniseries, I highly, highly recommend it to understand the great sacrifice and courage. It is a true story about the Easy Company and the 101st Airborne. But these two main characters, Captain Sobel and Lieutenant Winters, show like this dichotomy of leadership, these two different ways of leading, the effectiveness. And Captain Sobel was um, hated amongst his men, in a sense. I think they look back at him later on to the training that he gave them and are thankful for it. But in the time, during the boot camp and the training leading up to them going to Europe and fighting, he made them run more than any other company. He made, them, he made, he took away, um, he made up in, in fractions and took away their weekend passes. Weekend pass revoked, he says, over and over and over again. Because of a thread, right? Just hanging there after some new chevrons were sewed on. And yet when they get to Europe, when they actually get out of the, the comfort of, we'll say comfort, of boot camp in Georgia, he's lost. There's a scene where he's, he's so lost, he's like turning in circles with a map, the map's upside down, he doesn't know how to read it. There's a barbed wire fence, he ends up cutting it to get through, 
and letting the cows go all over the place. He doesn't know how to lead in the difficult times. It's more like a hired hand. Jesus knows how to lead. There's second leader in uh, the band of brothers is um, under Captain Sobel, uh, and he earns the favor of the men by his sacrificial leadership. So that Lieutenant Winners, and he becomes moves up the ranks, becomes Major Winners. But there's this great scene where they're they're taking um, a town, Carentan, and they're coming up on this dirt road up over this hill, and it's German occupied. And there's gunfire all around, and all the men are in the ditches on the side, afraid to move. And he, you know, what does he do? He gets up and stands right on the crest of that hill, visible to all the Germans fight, shooting at them. And he's, tell, he's getting these guys, get up out of there, move, move, move. He's leading, even in danger. And he comes out unscathed. In a sense, this is what I, I see Jesus as. Like he's leading us in danger. There's battles. It's not armies of this world and swords and guns. We battle the spiritual things, but it's Jesus Christ. Not afraid, because he knows who's in charge. He knows who's the leader. He's leading us, even through danger, because we know that there's a promise greater than death, and that's life with him. Jesus feeds us. Uh, a uh, story came up on my Facebook feed. I thought it was recent, but it was from a couple of years ago, almost two years ago, and it was, uh, you might be familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, um, who 50 years, 50, almost 52 years ago now, um, had her uh, diving injury, where she became a paraplegic. Right? So she was um, paralyzed from the neck down. She was diving in this lake, and she hit something, and it made her paralyzed almost 52 years ago. In the article, it was a 50th anniversary, and she wrote this article. And she writes this, I really would rather be in this wheelchair I'm like, it brings me to tears because I don't know if I could say, I don't know if I could say that. Like she says it with such faith. It has, she says, I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than be on my feet without him. And she continues and she, in in a sense, she talks about how Christ has fed her through these 52 years. At the end of the article, she says, it has everything to do with God's grace. He is feeding, he is dispensing grace to us. Everything to do with his grace, not just grace over the long haul, but grace in tiny moments, like breathing in and out. Things that we might take for granted. You ever get sick? You ever twist an ankle or you hurt your shoulder or you get sick and you have a hard time breathing and then you say to yourself, or you're really, really sore and you can't, like, from the gym or something, like me the past couple of days after some lunges, and you really you can't do normal things without pain, without difficulty, and you think to yourself, I will never, um, I will never, um, double negative here, I will never not appreciate my ability just to bend over and pick something up again, or my ability to breathe, and that's the grace that she's talking about here, the grace that Jesus gives her, 
right? Not just grace in the long haul, but grace in tiny moments, like breathing in and out, like stepping stones leading to you from one experience to the next. The beauty of such grace is that it eclipses the suffering until one July morning, you look back and see five decades of God working in a mighty way. You look at heroes of the faith, like Johnny Erickson Tata with 52 years of God taking away something that we take for granted all the time and to hear her talk about how Jesus feeds her in the long haul, but each and every way, like stepping stones, like breathing in and out. That's a great encouragement to us to look at Christ for those things. He feeds us, and he dispenses grace to us. Even in the suffering, he is there to walk beside us because the shepherd knows his sheep. The shepherd takes care of his sheep. Now, I know there weren't times of despair for her. There weren't times of crying and weeping and mourning and wondering if this life was even worth living. But we aren't just a people that go day to day. We are a people who are a people of a long obedience in the same direction. I've always loved that phrase. It's from Eugene Peterson's book. We have it in the back about the Christian life. It's not just high points. We're trying to get high points on a daily basis. But it's that Jesus Christ is feeding us. He is leading us. He knows us through the good times and the bad, through the battles, through the peace. He is with us and he is giving us his grace. And as shepherds of the church, we should point be pointing you to Jesus at every turn. We tangibly feed on Christ each Lord's Day as he feeds us. In prayer, in the word read, in the word preached, in the fellowship of the saints gathering together, the family of God. We tangibly feed on him in the Lord's Supper, uh, not physically, but in some mysterious way, in some mysterious way, Christ is present in his grace that he is giving us and he is feeding us through the Lord's Supper, through the body and blood together. <coughs> and lastly, Jesus protects us. And protecting the sheep requires the shepherds to keep the sheep from various dangers they face, right, public warnings from God, even maybe rebuking and love. On the, on the, the small level, leaving the 99 safe sheep to search for the one lost lamb. It requires the shepherd to know a good fence, the value of a good fence, the vigilance and the diligence of watching over the flock. Pastors and elders are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. There are times in the history of the church, even maybe in your history, where the shepherds did not uh, protect But they left. They left the flock because of personal problems. They left the flock in mystery. Maybe even you come from a a background where you've been abused, spiritual abuse by by a shepherd, an elder, a pastor. 
In 1 Peter 5, that pastors and elders, I'm using the word synonymous here, are talked about as under-shepherds, as shepherds under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That we are accountable to him for our actions, for what we do, for how we lead, for how we care for the flock. And we work to emulate him. When the wolf comes, the hired hand runs, but the shepherd stays and fights and protects the flock. We are looking for shepherds, not hired hands. Because hired hands, as Jesus said, care nothing for the sheep. They're just paid a wage. And when danger comes, they move on. <laughs> like the, like the, the rent-a-cop that guards the vault. Right? He has a gun, but he's just a hired hand. It's not his money to protect. I don't know, it's, I don't know how it actually works out in real life, but in every movie, it's like the, the bank robbers come into the bank, and it's like, Everybody put your, your hands in the air. And then like, immediately the guy there with, like, takes his gun out and throws it and jumps on the ground, just like everybody else. Actually, before everybody else. It's a hired hand. They care nothing for the sheep and are often as dangerous as the wolves who seek to kill and, the, and devour. Paul tells Timothy to watch your life and doctrine closely. Paul, the apostle, is teaching Timothy, a young pastor, leading a young church that's having difficulties. As he writes these letters in First and Second Timothy, to watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is true for the protection of the flock as well. Wolves will come in and they will, um, like in Galatians, the wolves, of those, the, uh, the Judaizers, the wolves that came in to give new law. If you want to be a real Christian, you'll be circumcised. If you want to be a real Christian, you'll follow all the Jewish commandments. If you want to be a real Christian, you must become a Jew in every single way. Those are wolves, and Paul has no time for them. Get rid of them. He saves his harshest words for wolves. Or maybe they come in to remove God's law. Like the the, the Corinthian church. No big deal. We use the Lord's table as a place to, to get drunk. Not care about the poor. Not care about those that don't have. Sin's no big deal. Wolves will also teach falsely about God's word. They'll come in to teach false doctrine that draw you away from the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, early on in the life of uh, the church that we, um, we planted in Hartford, Redeemer Hill Church, we were in. We were meeting at our Hart, uh, City Steam Brewery, downtown Hartford. Uh, Micah was just like one, maybe or so, really little. He actually slept, slept in a pack and play behind the bar, um, which is like just is really funny now looking back on it. Um, and there was this time we were meet, we ended up moving to the back banquet hall, and I remember distinctly this. We had some visitors that came, and this guy was like. Oh, that was a wonderful service, brother. Can I share? Can I just share something with the congregation? We were, it was like now. We were small enough then. And I said, okay, like everybody was there. So like, yeah, I mean, encourage us. I didn't know who this guy was. I was a young pastor, not really thinking about wolves. Just thinking like, oh, man, he's here visiting. Yeah, sure. Like, keep us going. And uh, he didn't say anything crazy. 
okay? But later on, it was like two years later, this guy came back, and he had some friends in the church, and uh, at this time, I, I was a little bit wiser, had come across some different people and incidents, and um, maybe people that shouldn't ever speak to the body of Christ at the church, and, um, you know, I said, uh, no, brother, I don't, I don't th- not this time. Um, you're not part of our church. I don't know who you are. Um, you're not one of our members. You're not one of our leaders. Um, and he got visibly angry. And I said, why, tell me, tell me why God would give you a word to share with our congregation that he hasn't shared with me in my prep and my prayer or any of the leaders who are praying for this congregation. And he couldn't. Which, and he, you know that vein that Tom Cruise has? You know that vein Tom Cruise has that pops out when he's doing stunts? It was visibly popping, and he was visibly angry. And at that moment, I knew, wolf. Like, you wouldn't be angry if you truly cared about this congregation. Um, I say that this story now, but it was a lot harder for me at the time. <laughs> Looking back on it, it seemed it's much easier. But that was um, an eye-opening experience to me. That there are wolves who want to come in to be used by Satan to destroy the church. So Jesus protects us. He leads. He feeds. And we have a bonus. Something that the shepherds, the under-shepherds cannot do. Jesus saves us. This is the work of Christ alone. He says it in verses 27 and 29. He is the door exclusively. It's not me. It's not a priest. It's not anybody else. It's Jesus Christ. He is the door to salvation. There's no other way of salvation but faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other... There is no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Only he can unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. Luke writes this in Acts 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. This is the work of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, the work that he has shown us in John chapter 10 will be the work of the elders and the deacons and the leaders of this church as we grow and as we gather those people who can lead in this way, that God is called and qualified to care for his flock. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you feed us, you care for us, you know us, you protect us, you lead us. Most importantly, you have saved us. God, we pray for those that might be here and listening that are not saved that need the grace of Jesus Christ. Unlock the gate, open their hearts, change their hearts. By your good grace, we pray in your name, amen.